Sorry. Did you know he that never made a mistake never made anything? We made a boo-boo, but we're glad you're here. Only an advocate. I mentioned I have a niece, and she's a lovely young lady, and she was so thrilled. She comes from South Africa, and it's such a good place that she wanted to go back and show her family. She took them around to all the old places. A number of you will remember Pastor Laurie Evans. He was going to the GC one time, and he was asked to visit through some South African countries and just to meet with the officers down there. And he said, I would never have missed it. Now, why didn't that turn? Because I didn't press it hard enough. All right, get up to Laurie Evans now. Oh, that's not him. <laughs> he said, I would never have missed it. Fantastic spot. And then another fellow that we knew, um, Pastor Garn used to be the, the editor of the record. Some of you will remember a name like that. Well, Garn, he went back there. He took his family back. He wanted to go and see all the places that they ought to have seen. So he took them to the parks. He took them to the gardens. He took them even to their old home. But one of the special places they went to was called the Supreme uh, Appeals Court. And when they went into this court, it was only a big brewery, but when he went into this court, they were there having a look around and all the different things that happened in this place. Oh, when the judgment was being pronounced, the judge stood here. When he was listening to a case, he went there with this and that and all the paraphernalia. And eventually, Garn could hold his tongue no longer. And he said, tell me, where does the accused stand in this court? Now, you know, when people want to put you down, when they want you to know that you're ignorant, the voice they use, oh, 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 the accused does not appear in this court. Well, his eyes stopped. He said he's represented only by his advocate. You know, the plush carpets, all the flash things around that court faded into insignificance, but those words, only his advocate, burned into Garn's mind and burned deeply into his mind. Why? Because you see, Garn is a criminal. And his crime was that of murder. Only his advocate. But before you judge Garn too harshly or too quickly, I want to tell you something too. You're a crim too. And your crime is the crime of murder. Because we are the ones that are responsible for the death of Jesus. You see, it was not the Romans that cracked the whip and thrust the spear and yelled out. That was us. That was you. That was me there that day. It was not the Jews that shouted out, we don't want any uh, other than, than Barabbas. Give us Caesar. That was our attitudes. That was our callings. That was us. And you know, before we go there for a moment, I'd just like to have a look perhaps at Jesus' attitude towards sin and sinners. What was his attitude toward those that did evil things and spoke evil of him? John chapter 8, there's a terrific story. 
And the story is the story of a young lady caught. And they were so excited because now they had a real live case to bring before him. And so they dragged this woman down to Jesus and they knew Moses said she should be stoned. And so they said to Jesus, hey, you know what Moses says? Who's going to throw the first? What do you reckon? And Jesus didn't reply. He just sat down there and started to scribble. And he wrote in the sand. And as he wrote in the sand, one by one, those fellows just disappeared. And Jesus looked up. Where are they? Where are your accusers? And do you remember what Jesus said then? Do you remember it? Neither do I condemn you. Go and don't hurt yourself. Don't continue in this way of life. And I've lost what I had down here in front of me. Go and sin. You see, it was because David understood, because David recognized he had a God like that. It was David that cried out when he was caught out, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned against thee. I have sinned. Help me. Help me. I want to come to the gospel prophet for a moment over the book of Isaiah. And I want you to have a look at this one. In the book of Isaiah, it mentions a, a messianic prophecy taken hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And the gospel prophet said this, no one will believe us. He is despised. He's rejected. He bore our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we didn't care. By the way, this is my translation, so, or paraphrase of it. He was pierced for our transgression. Our punishment was placed on him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So can you see why I said that we were the ones that were guilty? Not the Romans, not the Jews. It was us that were there that day. And I think his hands were nailed down. His hands were pinned down for the things that we so often do. To make atonement for the physical things we do against each other. Our attitudes toward each other. His feet pinned down again. How many times do we knowingly, unknowingly, consciously or innocently wander off into forbidden paths of our own choosing? The crown of thorns that Jesus bore for the mischievous cunning, cunning that we think up in the mind, the mind-boggling sins that have festered and allowed to fester and then come out in actions. No wonder it says he is our righteousness because we need it. We badly need it. His back was lacerated. The many times that we have turned our back on his plan and let the carnal nature get the better of us. You know, if we looked around and saw Sodom and Gomorrah around today, they would just be normal towns, normal places. How often have we turned our backs on him? You know, Paul it was that said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, they're the things I fall into doing all the time. Who can help me? And remember what he said in verse 24 of that chapter? Thank God for what? Thank God for what, you know? Thank God for Jesus. Thank you for what Jesus did for you and I. So with all that appearing before us, 
in the Supreme Court, in God's high court, how on earth are we going to stand? How will you stand? How can I stand? Did you know the beauty of it is that we don't stand there at all? We are represented only by our advocate. Are you with me? Only by our advocate. He took it. He takes it. And he continues to represent it. Jesus is our advocate. He is the one that died. He is the one that rose. And he is the one ministering those sacrifices for us even now today. He is our representative. I want to go a little bit further and another couple of Bible verses that mention some of the things that he has done and what he would do for us. Over in the book of John, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, it says to us, if we are in the light and if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. We're glad to be here. We have fellowship. If we say we have no sin, we are liars. There's no way he can reach us. But if we confess our sin, what does he say then? He is faithful and just to forgive us. If we say we have no sin, there's nothing he can do for us. We are lying. There's no way he can get to us to reach us. John 2, or 1 John 2. Hey, we have an advocate. I don't admonish sin. Don't sin. Don't get caught. Don't fall. But remember, if we do, we have an advocate. We have an only one. Say sorry. Be like David. Be brave enough to quit. You are sons and daughters of God. Do we really believe it? Do we really hang on to it? That we are his children, that we are his family right now? You see, Jesus is in that court. And the wages of sin fell on the advocate. Not his sin, my sin. The wages of sin fell on him for me, for you. In other words, he's more than advocate. He is worse. He is substitute. Actually stands in, in my place, in your place. I wonder, do we believe it? Do we really believe? When he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he forsaken? Was he taking the place of sin? Was it sin crushing him? You know, the beauty of that is that we have of sharing it. Letting other people know. Some people misread God and they say God is a God of harshness, of judgment and rule and regulation. And Jesus is a God of grace. What nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It was they that planned they were the ones that planned for our rescue because they didn't want anyone to perish. Not one, not the other. It was they that did it and planned for your salvation and for mine. So I want to come to today because of their unwillingness to see people destroyed, because of their unwillingness to write us off. We notice a phrase from a good Christian writer talking about this time and very much similar to what we saw Isaiah say. Listen to this. Christ was treated what? 
Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sin, which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness, in which we have no share. He suffered the death that was ours, that we might receive the life that was his. And with his stripes, we are healed. Good news. Now, what was our first opening verse we heard this morning up here by way of welcome? Where was that verse taken from? Anyone take any notice? John chapter 13. That last night Jesus spent with his disciples and he took off his gown, wrapped a rag around himself. He'd used the word apron in that translation. He wrapped an apron around himself, got down and washed the disciples' feet and some of them objected. You know what? He didn't only wash dirty feet. He didn't only take away sin. He took away pride, any strife, any cherished thing was washed away that night. That's what he came to wash away. But when we get down to verse 17 of that chapter, it says, happy are you or blessed are you if you also take part. Blessed are you if you do these same things. So we have a, a memorial. We have a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. We have the emblems up here and the rostrum in front of us. We have a practice that Jesus inaugurated that night of washing one another's feet. Horrors. Yes, to wash away, what did I say? Pride, variance, strife, cherished sin. Wash them, give them away. So it's my privilege this morning to invite you to come and join do what he did. Let us go and wash one another's feet as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I believe in our church we have a tradition of at least three different places where we go to wash feet. Boys, you've got a place. Girls, you've got a place. And they, they've got a place. Families, if you'd like to go together. And if you'd like to take your children with you, take them with you. This is not exclusive. But those that don't want to go, those children that want to stay here, I've asked my wife to stay here in the church and she's going to have the children's story now. So all our kids, if you want to stop, you stop here. But if you want to come out with mum and dad, you come out and join in too. Let us now separate for the ordinance of humility. Those that stayed in here, did you have a good story? Where's all my kids? Do you have a good story? Did you see the pearls? Ah, we'll have to have that story another. Oh, did you do another one, Mrs. Eaton? The naughtiest girl in the room. <laughs> my. Oh, sorry. Where are my boys? They're there. We're here for a very simple, but yet a very meaningful service. In fact, Jesus instituted this service that we're having in place of another service. You see, the children of Israel had a perpetual reminder to them of their deliverance from the land of sin, the land of Egypt. What did they call it? The Passover. How often did they have it? 
But I heard someone say that we have this communion service more frequently than once a year. They only did it once a year. And Jesus changed the meaning, gave a new meaning to us for our deliverance from the land of the enemy, from our deliverance from the land of sin, by having our representative, by having our substitute take our place. And then Paul said, as oft as you do this, you do it and you show the Lord's death till he come. And Jesus said, we're not only going to do it here, we'll do it further. So we're playing a fairly important part today. And I'm going to ask, and I think I'm right, Jason, was you? No, you're going to say Ron. <laughs> Ron is going to lead us in prayer as we consecrate this bread for the purpose to, for which it was made to represent the broken body of Jesus. And let me say one further thing. Jesus always operated an open communion. That means everyone was invited to join in. And we have some people today and we have some problems today. For example, celiac. What's a celiac? It's a terrible thing, isn't it? Sound like you get a word like that attached to you, man. Some people can't use wheat. And can't have wheat flour. Well, we haven't got wheat or wheat flour. We have gluten-free for you, for everybody today. I often talk about gluten-free and say it's usually gluten-free, salt-free, sugar-free, and taste-free. <laughs> but this emblem, this emblem that we have today is representative. And we're going to consecrate it to that purpose now. Thank you, Ron. If you'd all like to bow your heads, we'll pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, dear wonderful God, as we come today, dear Lord, to partake in this communion service, as we take the bread, dear Lord, help us to remember that it represents your broken body, where you died on the cross for each and every one of us. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask a blessing now as we take the bread and remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why did Jesus use bread as an emblem? I think you'd be fairly hard-pressed not to find bread of some sort nearly everywhere, wouldn't you? Jesus took the common. Jesus took the everyday thing and used it, blessed it, converted it, to something special. I have been and worked for many years in many areas where we don't have any sorts of flour. And we used to get a, tarlo, a taro. Uh, where's the Fijians? They might be horrified at this one. But we would bake the taro and then cut it in slices and break that up because that's what they had. That's what was there. Jesus took what was available. But I think in the using of the bread, there's another de demonstration the bread must be broken and crushed and bruised and bashed to pieces before it becomes bread. Jesus was broken and bruised and bashed for our salvation. I think we've got a lot to be thankful for, don't you? We have a great solicitor. We have a great advocate on our side. 
I'm going to quote Paul. And the reason I'm quoting Paul is because I love Paul. And I love Paul because he represents me. You know why? I wasn't there when Jesus did this, were you? You weren't there either. So Paul represents us because he was not there the night that Jesus did what we are doing now. But I'd like to just say or repeat or quote what Paul said that evening. Paul said, that night that Jesus was crucified, he took bread. He broke it. They blessed it. He gave it to them and then said, all of you, eat of it. Paul went on to say, in the same way, he uses an old word in the same manner. Well, just like that. Jesus, uh, he took the cup, and we have cups. Tradition, they had one cup. They took the cup, blessed it, and then he gave it to them. So I'm going to ask Jason to lead us in prayer as we consecrate this fruit of the vine for the purpose that we are here today. Thank you, Jason. We just bow your heads while I pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the awesome gift of your son, Jesus. Um, and as we partake of uh, this, this grape juice, Lord, as a uh, sign that we remember what he's, he's done for us, just pray that you will bless it and bless us as we, uh, as we do it, Lord, and in your awesome, beautiful name. Amen. Why grape juice? Ever wondered? When Joshua and Caleb and the other spies went over into Israel, what did they bring back? How big, how big were the bunches? Well, it wasn't big blokes like Ron carrying them. I don't, well, it might have been. But if he did, they had to have them on a pole and then they had to lift the pole so they weren't dragging on the ground. Hey, they were fairly, fairly big grape bunches. Why did Jesus use grapes? You see, they were there. They were everywhere in that area. Grapes were not something imported, something special, something they had to bring. It was there. Jesus used the common. Jesus used what was available. You know, I went and mentioned a moment ago about the bread. I went to the islands and I went to some places where they had not had communion service for many years. And the years before that they had had it, they'd been down to the town and bought plonk. It was grape juice and it was fermented and it was, you know, and they sort of got shocked and horrified and were, well, they just didn't have ordinance for a few years. What do we do, Pastor? I said, well, you get up that coconut tree and throw down a few coconuts. Right or wrong? Come on, right or wrong? Hey, we can sit in judgment because grape juice, we've got grapes everywhere. But there's no grapes in some here. And so they used what was available. We used, I talked to one gentleman who lives in our area now, and he said, Ray, you'd have to put some berry juice or something with it to make it right color. I said, what evidence have you got Jesus used red grapes? See how deep some of our traditions go? 
We have no idea what the grapes were, do we? They were grapes. They were common. They were the, what was available. In fact, we had the best grapes early in the, in the uh, wedding party and the worst of grapes at the end of the party. Why? Because they added more water to it. That's why. <laughs> they made it go further. The fresh was fresh. Thank you. And so Paul, going on in verses 25 and 6, 1 Corinthians 11, he said, he said what Jesus said. He said what was reported. He said what was recorded to him. And that same night, they took the fruit of the vine. They took the cup and drank, representing the spilled blood of Jesus. So I would like to say to us, all of you, drink of it. Matthew 26 is the chapter where Jesus records, or Matthew records, the story of what happened that night. I'm going to invite you to have a custom that we have. And you take your glass and just pop it in the little slip in front of your, the table, uh, the chair you're sitting at. Little book rack, is that what you call it? Yeah, we don't call it anything. We just put them there. All right, just put them there. And deacon and deaconesses, you know where they are. But I am interested in what Jesus said, and he certainly did not prolong the service. He said, and they sang a hymn and went out. Singers, are you going to lead us in this one? They sounded so good that we can't not have them, I reckon. And what one are we going to sing? Were you there? Father, we are unworthy. And we recognize that. But we also feel invited because you have invited. And now we'd like to pray that as we go out, we go with your blessing. That we may radiate the experience we have with you in Jesus' name. Amen.